Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, your outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition for over 30 years. And it's the fourth Saturday of the month, which means we have the one and only Farmer Greg joining us to talk about extreme summer fruit tree care. Yes, we can still have produce in the Arizona summer. Yes, we can. In fact, the best time for stone fruit and apples is uh, May and June. So we're right in the middle of it. We are. And I mention this every time this time of year comes around. <clears throat> My horses love this time of year because we thin our apple trees by pulling off the baby apples, putting them into a bucket, and then we spread them out. I've got all but one. He will turn up his nose and let those <clears throat> apples ripe or rot in his trough. The rest of them, the foaming at the mouth, just this anagreen <laughs> apple oozing out of their mouth. <laughs> nice. They love it. So um, I do want to address something really quickly. There's been a rumor flying around that I moved. I was wondering if you were going to address that. I just didn't even touch it. So if, if you're leading <laughs> into it, let's lead into it. So Heidi and I actually moved from the Valley of the Sun to Asheville, North Carolina, and we've uh, purchased ourselves four acres to start a little farm here, which we're very excited about. And we've been here a month now. What do you and, think? Oh, it is stunningly beautiful here. And things are green. The first week that we were here, we actually planted a, I called it an Insta garden. It'll be up on my YouTube channel here in the next week or so. Uh, but we, we had gardens in the first week we were here. And I would say that all have tomatoes within about two weeks. Very cool. Mm. That's how mm. fast things are growing. Yum. And what and, made you select this destination? Uh, quiet. When I met Heidi <laughs> nine years ago, I said, I want to go someplace quiet. And so uh, we found it and came this way. And guess what? It's quiet here. Very good. Nice. Yeah. But I, the thing I do want to say is that all of our programs are going to stay up and running. Uh, most of what I do is online education with the fruit tree program and our online chats that we do and the classes that we do. It's all online. So it, th that really doesn't matter where I live. And then the, the fruit tree program will continue. That's what we're talking about today, extreme fruit tree care. And uh, we run the fruit tree program like a Christmas tree lot. So people come in January to pick up their fruit trees from us. So everybody will see my smiling face in Phoenix in January when we're open. Oh, very good. Like Santa yeah. Claus, come to town once a year. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, very so. cool. Well, congratulations on your four acres and your new <clears throat> homestead in the North Carolina hills. I've only been there in the winter, and we were under snow and ice, and my uh, sister lived there for a short period of time while her husband was in – this was after boot camp, but he was stationed out there. Mm -hmm. And they were there for about two years. So we got to sneak out during a, a winter one year to see it. And even in the winter, North Carolina is oh, a beautiful state. Yeah. And uh, the process for my greenhouse, so I have a place to go in the winter when it is snowing, is underway. Very cool. <laughs> really, the big takeaway here is that all of our programs at the Urban Farm will continue. We're going to continue to do uh, the fruit tree program and 
urban farm tours and that kind of stuff. So And planning a greenhouse so you can grow under snow is probably something you've never done before. <laughs> snow? What's that? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you will have to adjust to something else that we don't have much of in Arizona, and that's humidity. Humidity. So it, you know, I mean, it's high during monsoon season, yeah, about 40%. We can deal with that. But. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Earlier I checked, and it's uh, today, it's 75% humidity. All right. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so we will see. We will see. Anyways, extreme fruit tree care. And really, it's extreme tree and plant care that we're going to be talking about. So this, this you can apply to anything you're growing in the desert. Well, Greg, I know a lot of times we always talk about we learned by all the times we have failed. So <laughs> what, what failures do we want to avoid as we're getting started? You know, a, a successful start uh, enhances your ability to have a successful harvest down the road. Big time, big time. And really what we're looking to do is mitigate the heat. And often what people do, I've seen this so many times, people plant a tree in the middle of a gravel yard with one drip emitter at the base of it and they walk away. Now, if it's a five-gallon plant, that's okay for, you know, what, a week, two weeks? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the big thing that I like to talk about is what I call my 6-6 rule. And really what the 6-6 rule is about is mitigating the heat and building healthy soil around the base of your tree. The 6-6 rule is at least six inches of woody mulch and a six-foot six diameter basin around your tree. And what happens at the interface between the woody mulch and the dirt very quickly is it starts breaking down into this amazing soil. And after a couple of years, what you'll find is that the tree is putting out all kinds of feeder roots up into that woody mulch, and you've got amazing soil that you've built. So 6-6 six, six rule, six-foot diameter basin, six inches of woody mulch is a great place to start when you're putting your trees in. And I don't remember the exact percentage. You know, a lot of times you hear people talking about, oh, deep taproot this and that. But like over 80% of tree roots are really pretty shallow, uh, yeah. close to the surface. They they don't naturally go all that deep. Um, if you've ever pulled out a mesquite tree, you, you see they, they do have a, a deep root system. But most tree systems, they, they spread out horizontally. They don't grow down vertically. Right. They're pretty shallow. And so if you have your six-foot diameter basin, that you're building this amazing soil, like a forest builds soil, your tree is absolutely going to thrive. And I, I actually have on my YouTube channel a way to fix a broken basin. So if you've not got a basin around your tree, if you shoot me an email, greg at urbanfarm.org, I can send you the link to my YouTube channel that shows me fixing or creating a basin around a tree and what goes into it. Because when you plant your trees, here's, here's the other thing that we want to be really conscious about, and that is how to plant your trees. There's a very specific way that we want to get the trees planted. Often what happens when somebody comes in and plants a tree is they dig a hole, they drop the tree in the hole and they put the 
soil that they pulled out of the hole back on top of the hole and walk away. And you're just not giving your tree a limb up if you're doing it that way. So we have our strategy that we've built. Now, I've been planting fruit trees in the desert since 1975. I have killed, you mentioned at the top of the hour, (laughs) killing trees. I, I have killed more trees than anybody, I promise. And what that tells me is, okay, I won't do that again next time. And so over the past 20 years of our fruit tree program that we do with the Urban Farm, I've really deciphered the best way to get your trees planted. My planting methodology looks like this. You're going to dig a square hole and save 40% of the dirt coming out of the hole and put that in a wheelbarrow. Dirt, it's desert dirt. It's high in micronutrients. It's really important for the trees and other plants. But if that's all you have that you're planting in, good luck growing anything. So we take 40% of the dirt out of the hole. And you're going to mix in 60% some kind of planting mix. Uh, Tanks down in Tucson has created one for me called uh, Farmer Greg's Planting Mix. Uh, it's cocoa peat and compost, and it's really a good mixture. And you so you take that 60% of that, 40% of the dirt, you mix it up in the wheelbarrow. Now, you add. go ahead. If somebody's listening in Phoenix, and we have listeners, Phoenix, Tucson, Flag, Green Valley, you don't have to drive to Tucson for this. That's just where... Tanks green stuff is located. You can find exactly. this product in around the re- state in retail markets around the state. Yeah, but it's yeah, tank, exactly. just like a, a tank or truck. T A N K. Yep, they they make a great soil product out of uh, chewed up and composted stuff from the Tucson area. All right, so now you have your wheelbarrow and you've mixed the the soil up in the wheelbarrow, and you're going to add the following three items. Mycorrhiza. You're going to add two ounces of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza is a uh, microbial root stimulator. You're going to mix that in the wheelbarrow. And then two pounds of azomite. Azomite is a micronutrient for your trees. It's like a, a vitamin pill for your trees and two pounds of worm castings. Then you mix all of that up in the wheelbarrow and use that to plant your tree with, and then put your six foot diameter basin with six inches of woody mulch around the tree. So now you've you've planted the tree for success. And we've got uh, Farmer Greg's talking points on this, Gary will post on the archive page, so you can actually get the correct spelling of Mycorrhiza, um, azomite, and then for worm castings, you know, there is a place in Arizona, but it's near South Mountain, where all they specialize in is worm poop. I mean, I know yep. castings is the proper term, but it's, it's worm poop, and it's yeah. it's miracle stuff. It is. It really is. It's They call it gardener's gold, and uh, Zach and uh, over at Arizona Worm Farm, they do an incredible job. If you ever get a chance to go see their facility, it is my dream project. He showed up on the he showed up about three or four years ago doing this project, and it's like, oh man, if I could have afforded to buy ten acres of land and do that, that would have been what I would have done. So <laughs> my neighbor, are, my neighbor went down there to get started, and he must have I don't know, hundred and fifty square feet now of 
uh, raised planter gardens. And every time he gets one done, he starts another one. He's going full bore in, and he loves that place. We've got Farmer Greg in studio with Rosie on the house. More to follow this. Farmer Greg just took us through his soil recipe for planting trees. Once we have that uh, mixture all together and, and stirred up just right, what's our next steps, Farmer Greg? And, you know, you had mentioned a, a square hole, and I've talked to a lot of people. No one else has ever heard of that, but you've explained it on the show in the past, and, it, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you hear it. It's a cylindrical hole. We usually dig a circular hole or a cylindrical hole. What we have found sometimes with our really, really hard soil here in the desert, the trees can actually become root bound in a circular hole or a cylindrical hole. They just, the roots get to the edge and then they start following the hole around. Because so the potting soil mixture is so much easier for the roots to grow in if we're not getting the native soil deep soaked in water it's too hard for the roots to penetrate so they just end up going in a circle and if you get a pot that's a plant that's been a potted nursery a long time a lot of times when you pull it out it's already got a circular root ball system yeah so it just kind of perpetuates the problem so you finally made the observation hey take a square hole yeah well and so basically what happens in a square hole and i didn't come up with this i heard somebody writing about it a couple three years ago um it's not round, so it's square. And if the roots do start growing along the edge, they're not gonna make a 90 degree turn. They will continue digging. So one of the way to, ways to help mitigate this is that I always dig my holes and then I put pock marks with a shovel or a, a pick on, on the inside of the hole. So that, that'll help a lot too. So it, it almost looks like the inside of a gear now with all those little etch marks all the way around it. There, there you go. Exactly. And, um, and the other really important thing to do when you're planting your tree is to fill the hole with water and do what we call a perk test to see if your soil is going to percolate, if it's going to drain. So if you do that, you dig your hole two foot by two foot square and a foot and a half deep, and find that it's not draining after 24 hours. Now, if there's a little bit of water in the bottom, that's no problem. But if, if it's completely full, like it was at Janice's farm when she started it, you got to dig a deeper hole. So that's that's what we call the perk test, and that's really important. And it's really easy. Like you said, all you do is take a hose out there, turn it on, fill it up, turn it off, start yeah. the timer. So we just talked in the last segment, we talked about what to add to your hole. If you already have your trees planted, and you need to fix the basin. That's where the video that I mentioned in the last segment comes in is, uh, you know, go watch that video. And I talk about how to build the basin, how to add the planting mix, the mycorrhiza, azomite, and worm castings in your basin, how to get your woody mulch in place. So it's not too late. Awesome. And, you yeah. know, we're going to take that link for your YouTube and we'll embed it and the archive podcast of this as well. So it'll Excellent. tie it all together nicely. So let's talk about shade for a minute. Okay. Um, there's multiple ways that we need to shade our trees. And what we're shading them from is the heat generated by the sun, not the light. Light's good. Heat's bad. 
especially in the summertime here, exactly. And one of the big things that I discovered a, maybe a decade or so ago was plant a ground cover underneath your tree. And I suggest two things. We have uh, cowpeas that we give away every season with our program. And it's a nitrogen fixing bean that likes the same kind of watering system, watering schedule that your fruit tree likes or sweet potatoes. And for sweet potatoes, you just go to the grocery store and buy yourself some organic sweet potatoes, let them sit on the counter and they'll start budding out after a couple of weeks, cut them in half and plant them in the ground. And those spread out underneath the trees and literally can drop the temperature of the ground underneath the trees 50 degrees. Yeah. That's significant. That's significant. That's the difference between your trees making it and your trees not making it. And what we're talking about here shading, you're talking about shading the root system. And, you know, my mind immediately went to the foliage, shading the foliage. But like Eisenhower always says in Talking Trees is, as go the roots, so go the shoots. So if you're protecting the roots... It just helps them better support the shoots. Right. Makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. And so just like shading your house, you know, when I lived at the urban farm, I had a west facing wall that was my office. And before I put shade up outside of that wall, the temperature of the inside wall was hot in the summertime. Once I put that shade in place, it dropped the temperatures dozens of degrees and helped with my air conditioning. So we're using that same concept to shade the ground. So step number one is woody mulch. Step number two is shade that woody mulch. And we've got more advice from Farmer Greg, but real quick, those two, it was it was cow peas. And what was the other one you recommended for shade? Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. That's right. And could you do like a vine fruit like a pumpkin or watermelon Watermelon or anything like that? Those are harder because they need water more often. These are, these are the, the cow peas and sweet potatoes are more on the watering schedule of a tree. Exactly. Okay. Great. Great. Like you said, and this all comes from uh, trial and error and lots of failure. We're sharing you (laughs) the fruits, the, the fruits of, of a persistent man more right after this. Out here in the country, bluebirds sing for nothing, and a shade comes free with a tree. Thank you for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Farmer Greg is in online with us as he is at the fourth Saturday of the month in our urban farming hour here in our outdoor living hour, eight to nine o'clock. Before we get into home improvement, and we were going through ways to shade your trees, and we've got Two points down, but Farmer Greg has two more he wants to cover before we uh, move on to the next phase of successful tree planting. And so we talked about the woody mulch basin. That acts like a sponge, cools the ground a little bit. We talked about growing a ground cover on top of that. The next thing you want to do is you want to, you know, you've seen people paint trunks of trees, right? Sadly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm not a great big fan of painting the tree trunk, 
but wrapping it with a tree wrap the first year until the tree can grow out and shade itself is really important. So I got a little story to tell, and I can do this because he's not here right now. But uh, a friend of the family raising a little money to go, and the first person I ever let touch or trim any trees in my orchard other than myself. Uh And I said, just trim anything that's touching the ground. That's all I want, nothing more. I came Uh back, and uh, one of my grapefruits looks like um, something you would see in Sun City. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. Like, oh, oh. Yeah, you trimmed it. <laughs> Way, so everything that was touching so, the ground got pruned three feet up or something. Oh, man. I I, I actually do have tree paint. I've got the, uh, the natural colored one, so it's not the white blurring yeah. one. But that was the first thing I did. I'm like, get the paint out, paint those trunks before the sun can, can burn them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of tree wrap. It's just a cloth. And once the tree shades itself, then you're, you know, you're golden. And the reason I don't use the cloth, I prefer it too. Mm-hmm. But if there's neighborhood cats, they love to scratch it with their claws. Uh, <laughs> and so you end up getting a lot of cat scratches, you know, that go through the cloth into the bark. And then it loosens up and wiggles in the despite, wind. Next thing you know, they're playing with despite it. Despite the dogs, we, <laughs> there's still cats that make it through the yard. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so for whatever that's worth. There you go. And so those are those are the easy ways, the three easy ways to get your tree shaded. Then if if you're even more extreme than that, uh, heat-wise, putting up a canopy over the top of it. But I want to really caution people, if you are going to use what I call paid-for shade, You only want to shade the west side and the top. A few years ago, I shaded one of the trees in my yard, and I put shade on the top and all four sides. And it was 30%, 40% shade cloth. And believe it or not, inside, it got hot. And it got hot enough to kill the tree. And when you're talking 30, 40%, that's when you're buying shade cloth, it's how much light is allowed through. So it's exactly. the density of the material. Exactly. It's not that 30 or 40% of the tree was shaded. No, 100% of the tree was shaded with 40% shade cloth. And it yeah. killed it. Mm. And it killed it. It just, it, even though shade cloth breathes, it was still too hot in there. So just be wary if you are going to put up what I call paid for shade, you want to shade the west side and the top. And the other thing that you really want to consider is how can you start planting desert shade trees in your area so that they provide the shade? Native mesquite trees, native Palo Verdes, uh, ironwood trees, they all make a bean that you can eat they do really well in the desert. And as a single trunk tree, they can grow pretty tall and provide shade for your, you know, your trees, plants, and gardens. So you might want to consider that. Little microclimate there. Yeah. And the, exactly. And they're fast growing, especially the mesquites and Palo Verde. Ironwood is not uh, it's very pretty, but right. not well, fast growing like a mesquite or a Palo Verde. You can get that shade 
you know, a couple of years from now, you'd be surprised just how much that offers. Right. Especially if you plant them the way that we suggest you plant your fruit trees and water them the way that we suggest you water your fruit trees. And that's, uh, and you know, are your fruit trees explode. dwarf variety or you just They're keep not. them pruned to manageable height? Number two. Keep I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was answering your question. Part two. Part two. Got it. Part two, which is. Because um, you, you don't want the fruit tree growing up into the mesquite tree for that's there for shade. Exactly. And here, this goes to one of the big reasons that I teach people to grow fruit trees in the desert. And that's that you can go into most nurseries in every big box store and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit. And one of the key pieces of that is rootstock. Most fruit trees are grafted and rootstocks, some of them work in the desert, some of them don't. And I have found that most of the dwarfing rootstocks on citrus and deciduous trees do not like the desert soil. They don't do well in the desert soil. So you want to get either a semi-dwarf or a standard size rootstock when you're planting your trees, and then you prune the trees to keep them (laughs) small-ish. Manageable size. Like you said, um, it's not that they don't won't produce fruit. They just won't produce fruit in the desert. It's the wrong plant for the wrong. Right. Yeah. They're they're making a, mm -hmm. a box store is making an order for the West. Well, the West is all the way up to Montana. Yep. You know, and down to the bottom of Arizona. So exactly. you're getting a lot of things that aren't going to be successful, especially in, you know, Arizona's unique, very high ultraviolet dry desert where creosotes are the champions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then once you've done all of that, we've discovered how to plant it and how to fix a basin uh, when you're planting or, or after you've planted, how to fix the basin we need to fertilize trees. And I have a question for you, Romy and Gary. How often do you need nutrients for your body? All the time. Well, every, day. every day, <laughs> every right? Day, you know. Every day, exactly. So do your plants need nutrients every day? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, one a day so, vitamin ain't gonna do it. <laughs> exactly or once a year vitamin. So, I, and I, I set this up quite a few years ago. There's four times, and this is a, to help you remember when to fertilize your trees. Valentine's Day, Tax Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. And basically what we're getting at is you want to give your trees a good organic fertilizer four times a year. And old Arizonans will know that's one more than we used to. It used to, that tax day edition snuck in. Yep. Yeah, exactly. A few years ago, I was talking to my uh, mentor and friend out of California who uh, does a lot with fruit trees. And he says, Greg, you got to fertilize them four times a year. And this is a slow release organic fertilizer. And Global Organics uh, has a, some good products that's made locally. Uh, Hickman's. Family Farm has some good products that are made locally uh, that are organic in nature and um, slower release. So fertilizing your trees four times a year, really important. So we took care of Jay Harper there for a second there, (laughs) 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 who works for Hickman's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that's 
that's a place to start. And what I tell people when they buy fruit trees from us is that your tree um, may cost you 50 or 60 or $70 for the tree. Expect to spend at least that much the first year in soil supplements, nutrients, uh, fertilizers, that kind of stuff. These are living plants that need to be taken care of. And the bare minimum to get them thriving is to do the basin right, to do the planting right, and to fertilize four times a year, bare minimum. And then the next step is something that we call foliar feeding. And this is something fairly new too, or at least Ish. to our our conversation. I think to our conversation, yes. I think the I cannot. It, it's a local, another local guy out of Goodyear. Yep, yep. A couple guys, Anthony and Derek's from High Creations. Uh, they're both U of A graduates, and a few years ago they started <laughs> looking. Of course, U of A grads would name their company High Creations, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jam. And what what they're doing is really good work, and. Uh, Basically, foliar feeding is taking a liquid fertilizer and spraying it directly on the trunk of the tree, on the branches, and on the leaves. And their stuff is full of micronutrients. It's full of microorganisms. And you're not using very much. So a quart bottle of their Noble Gills product will last a year. And what I've been doing here is I've been taking a capful, which is a quarter ounce, and putting it in a gallon of water and just pouring it on my, you know, on my garden. So it doesn't take very much. And then what happens is, is that those nutrients in, in the liquids go right in through the leaves and branches and trunks of the tree. It's an instant form of fertilizer. Which is very cool. And it's something we actually – we'll have to link on today's archive page to that podcast because they were a guest of yours, I don't know, about maybe like spring of last year. But yeah. very fascinating uh, process. And again, local guys. So it's a, right. it's a double win. Yeah. And so it's really simple to do it. Uh, basically, like I said, I've got a uh, waterer, you know, just a plastic watering can that I've been using since I got here. Uh, I also – in the past have used the two gallon pump sprayers. And I found something recently at one of the hardware stores here in Asheville. And this is a battery powered four gallon one. <laughs> so you carry it, it's a backpack, you carry it on your back and um, you know, it gets sprayed directly on the plants. And uh, you know, it just, it makes life a whole lot easier. And so that is called foliar fertilizing? Foliar fertilizing. That's F-O-L-I-A-R, foliar. And, and you said a capful per gallon of water? That's all you need? Yeah. Or does it vary? Um, it varies. Um, we have on our website, uh, urbanfarm.org, we have a schedule. Janice and her infamous wisdom worked with Anthony and Derek's over at High Creations and they put together a year-long schedule of, here, this is what you do uh, every two weeks because we are suggesting that you want to foliar feed your plants every two weeks. Excellent. And, yeah, and what we've been finding 
is extreme success with the trees. The, the results that we're getting are kind of mind-blowing. All right, very good. We've got one final segment with Farmer Greg. Stay tuned. All right, this is the last segment with Farmer Greg, but it's not all that you have going on today. It is Saturday Seed Up. Tell us about this, like you said at the beginning, you know, a lot of stuff that you have done now is all moved online anyway. So what's what's the details for Seed Up Saturday? All right, well, we, you know, we do this three or four times a year. It's called Seed Up Saturday. And what we do is we bring in seed educators. So these are, you know, vegetable seeds, open pollinated seeds for your garden. And we talk seeds. So this afternoon, we've got an event starting at noon, I think. Uh, and you can find out more about it at seedupsaturday.org. Actually, it's starting at 9 a.m. It's starting right after this segment. Hello. And um, uh, basically what we're doing this Saturday is we're, we're visiting different aspects of seeds, how seed companies work, uh, what's going on with grains around the world. You know, this whole upset with Russia and Ukraine, a significant amount of our grain comes out of that part of the world. So we're having to address maybe shortages of grain coming up. And so we're just, we're talking all, all things seeds here for Seed Up Saturday. And, um, you know, I just invite you to come and join us. It'll be a three hour long event. You can jump in for the whole thing or part of it. And you find out about it at seedupsaturday.org. Very good. Well, obviously I won't be able to join until uh, you're in your last hour as we continue right. the, the two more hours of Rosie on the house here. But if you are interested in getting started from Seed, uh, Seed Up Saturday, going on today. Couple and then fun- um, just one, one more thing real quick. We are doing our annual uh, Seed Up at North Phoenix Baptist Church in November again this year. And so just keep that on your radar. That's the one where we actually bring in a couple of tons of seeds and put them in buckets in a room and people do a big, uh, big bulk buy of seeds. It's really a cool event. It's a great event. And seeds last, you know, decades, thousands of years. You know, they they have found seeds and pots that they've pulled out of archaeological sites that they stuck in the ground and grew. So done right, seeds can last a, a lifetime. So you can have a good a good supply to get started and then a good supply to uh you know continue to replant over a few years as you maybe learn how to sow your own seeds from yep. the crop from this year so a lot of yeah. great opportunities to you know learn to grow it yourself not only for um you know global food crisis that may be going around the world but just the fun and enjoyment of getting outside learning these skills that um it, it was just what you knew and had to know a hundred years ago just to survive before everything, you know, went, went to such a mass industrial. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about that, but it's also good knowing how to, you know, fall back on basic life skills that have escaped. So urban, urbanfarm.org for Greg Peterson's website. And you can go to all his links from there, the fruit tree program, the seed Saturday, and you had a couple more points on, uh, just selecting the right type of tree. Oh, yeah, Once yeah. we had all the soils uh, set and amended, you know, 
selecting that right tree is pretty key. Yeah. So here's the caveat. And I mentioned this earlier. You can go to most nurseries and every big box store and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit. There's three key things that you need to know. First is chill hours. Chill hours are the amount of hours that a fruit tree needs in order to set fruit. This, this uh, speaks to deciduous trees, so peaches, apricots, plums, apples, that kind of stuff. And we get about 300 hours of chill. So if you plant a 600-hour chill tree, which I was at Costco recently, and I, they had some six and 700-hour chill trees there that would never make fruit here. So low chill is number one. Number two is make sure that it's on the correct rootstock. You can get the trees through our program. They're all on the right rootstock or do your homework. That's really important. And thing number three for the soft flesh fruit. So this is grapes and berries and mulberries and apples and peaches and apricots. They need to be ripened off the tree by about July 1st. Otherwise, they have a tendency to cook on the tree. So if you're looking at a tree that ripens in September, good luck with that. <laughs> even even with the extra shade and done everything right, you know, when, when you get over 115, uh, it's just, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a, that's a great tip. Make sure your harvest is there by July 10th. And then yep. really, it's only about a month after that. Um, that you know that that one month t- time frame is the only month we really don't get a lot of tree produce. But you know, come August, September, October, you know, if you've planted right, it, it's not stone fruits that are ready, but you can have other tree varieties that are starting to produce. Yeah, figs in the fall, pomegranates in the fall, uh, and in the late fall, citrus. Um, you are right, though. July, August, September is a really hard time to grow. And it got to the point for me that I didn't grow much in July, August, and September. I just, you know, I took that time off. So did the trees. <laughs> yeah, so did the trees, exactly. All right, Farmer Greg, thanks for spending Saturday morning with us. And Seed Up Saturday will start here shortly. And June, we'll be talking about preventing water waste, ways that you can water harvest, repurpose, and stack functions of our very vital resource it requires all these things to grow water there you go